Hey, great to be here. Great to see so many of you here. Um, well, this is a significant day, as has been said, for Grace London, and it's real thrilled to be here and to be part of it. It's obviously a significant day, especially for Andrew and Jeremy, as we recognise them and appoint them as elders. I know this can feel a little bit strange, but especially for those of you who've been around at Grace for a while, maybe been here since maybe a handful of you have been here since the beginning, and. Uh, it can be a bit strange. What are we kind of doing today? Because obviously Andrew's been leading the church all the way through. He started it and gathered a group of people together, and that became what we're, we now have here this morning. And Jeremy's been around for the story, and you've got the other guys who've been on the team as well, Danny and Luke and Eugene, who've been serving on a team together. And so it might seem a little bit strange to kind of say we're appointing elders. What, what does that mean? And uh, hopefully we'll explain some of that as I go through this morning and also hopefully we'll kind of see that as we get to the praying bit. It'll kind of make more sense spiritually just as we, as we do it. Uh, there's a sense in which nothing changes because um, these guys are still leading the church, there's still a team working together. Uh, Eugene's had a slight change of position in terms of how uh, not serving in quite the same way in, in the leadership team but the other four guys still serving in leadership capacity together, Luke hosting the meeting this morning. Um, so, in a sense, nothing changes, but on the other hand, an awful lot is changing as we recognize Jeremy and Andrew as elders in this church. What it's about is about growing into maturity. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Titus, says to Titus, put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. When Paul and Titus and the other uh, dudes in the early church were going around the Mediterranean planting churches, they were getting congregations like this going, but then they needed to appoint, recognize elders in those churches. And so Paul says to Titus, there's something that's been unfinished. We've got some churches started, but we haven't got elders in place. We need to do that. And I guess probably similar today, they would have been recognizing people who were already leading those congregations, but something happened which identified them as elders in the churches. Even, even the term elder might seem a little bit strange to many of us. It's a kind of a slightly odd word, and, and especially because we would normally use it to mean older. And neither of these guys are particularly old. They're both relatively young, and this is a generally relatively young congregation. Uh, so when we think about elder in a church context, we're thinking about those who have that kind of mature responsibility of God-given leadership for a congregation. And that's really what what I want to focus about this morning is about this being a mark of grace becoming a more mature church and uh, this being a morning about maturity and about how a mature church should function. So that's kind of where I want us to go this morning. So I'll talk for a while and then we'll move into uh, appointing these guys, recognizing them as elders. Uh, I was here 51 weeks ago. I know when it was because it was Marathon Sunday last year that I was here and next week's Marathon Sunday, so it must be 51 weeks since I was here. And when I was here last year, I spoke from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about authenticity. And uh, this is kind of a, it's maybe an annual series, although it's kind of finishing at the end, end of the book. Uh, this morning I want to talk from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 about the subject of maturity. So if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. This is my go-to passage when it comes to thinking about what a mature church should look like. Uh, it's also my go-to passage for when it comes to appointing elders. It's a passage I spent lots of time thinking about and have spoken on lots of different times. And I think there are things in this for you as well this morning. Let's, we'll read uh, from verse 12 down to verse 28, the end of the book, end of the chapter, and then I'll pick it apart verse by verse. 
This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessaloniki. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. This is the word of God. What I want to do is focus first on some responsibilities that Andrew and Jeremy have as elders, and then to focus on responsibilities that we all have as God's people and what you have as members of this church in how you relate together, what it looks like to be a mature Church. So, beginning with the elders, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. There are three things here which the Apostle Paul says that elders are to do in the church they're to work, labor, they're to care, they've got an oversight of the congregation. And they're to admonish. And it's worth us thinking about those three different things. Paul says, these are the people who labor. They work amongst you. And eldership is labor. It's, it's work. It requires diligence. It requires effort. It requires energy. It requires focus. It calls for diligent men who are prepared to put their shoulder to the wheel and get some stuff done. And there is an expectation that elders will work hard in how they serve the church. I'm sure with Andrew and Jeremy, there's not any question that's what they will do. They have proved themselves to be hard workers. Both Andrew and Jeremy are now employed as staff members of the church, as well as being now coming into eldership in the church. There is some connection. You don't have to be a staff member to be an elder. <clears throat> and I'm sure in due course we'll be appointing other guys who are not staff members as elders here. But these guys have already demonstrated that they are prepared to work hard for the church. Actually, one of the good things about both of these men is they're men of high quality and caliber who could have done other things. Um, Andrew's been working in church life for a long time. Uh, Jeremy's been doing other stuff. These are both men who have other options to them. It's not that they weren't qualified to do anything else. <laughs> it's not that they're a pair of losers who couldn't find a job and so end up working for a church. That's not how it is. These are highly qualified, high-caliber men who could do all kinds of things. And in this setting in London could be in settings where they'd be probably earning more money and have more social prestige. That's what they could do. But they've chosen to give themselves to serving in the church. And that's good. That's what elders are called to do, to work hard. Another thing that elders are to do is to 
be over the congregation to care for it. Eldership is shepherding. Now, the Bible is full of kind of shepherding language. Luke already this morning has talked about shepherds. That's strange language for us. I mean, looking around here, looking out the windows as we were worshipping, there aren't many sheep. There's no fields. Not many shepherds. And so it can be hard to get ourselves into an agricultural mindset. Uh, as Lucas said, Grace and I live in Poole, which nobody knew where that is. It's Bournemouth, same place. If you know where Bournemouth is, it's the same, kind of, it's the same town. Uh, we're, it's a reasonable-sized town, but we're surrounded by countryside with lots of sheep and lots of shepherds. Not, not quite the same here, but eldership is a kind of a shepherding process. It is caring for a flock. It's a duty of care, responsibility, of, of, of godly oversight. It's, it's pastoral. And so these men are being called and appointed, recognized as pastors. And probably we quite like the word pastor because that sounds ever so nice. I want somebody to pastor me. So I want somebody to pastor me. I want somebody to pastor me, to <laughs> hug me and make me feel good and loved. And when I'm stressed, to mop my fever brow and say it'll be all right and there's part of that which pastors are, are, are called to do but also it's actually it's a much stronger term than that the biblically pastoring is something which requires some robustness and some strength because the biblical model of being a shepherd is that you're the guy who fights off the wolves and the lions and the bears that's what a pastor is to do and so with these two men being recognized as elders here as pastors as shepherds actually it's a call in a sense to warfare that's what a shepherd does a shepherd fights. It fights. A shepherd fights for the health, for the safety, for the protection, for the well-being of the flock under his care, and that's what these men are to do. And it's a responsibility that's given by God. That's why it says in the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. When we in a few minutes' time, recognize the point, Andrew and Jeremy, as elders here. They're stepping into a... Nothing changes in the sense they're still doing what they've been doing anyway, but it does change in terms of kind of spiritual recognition and responsibility. That they are putting themselves in a place where they're saying to the Lord, Lord, we, help, we are accountable in the end to you, and one day Jesus will have to stand before you and give account for the way in which we have shepherded the flock you put under our care. And that is... That is a serious thing to do. What we're doing today is serious. You, probably all of you, have got bosses, unless you're your own boss. We're accountable to people, and if you've got a, in an organization where you're way below the big boss, if you ever got called to account before the big boss, that can be quite a, a scary thing. But as an elder, you're accountable to the ultimate boss, the Lord of all things. And that's a thing of real seriousness. And so... These men today are taking a step which is serious. They're saying we're going, to, we're, going to be el- we're going to be elders, we're going to be pastors, we're going to be shepherds, and we're responsible, accountable to God in that. And then the third thing that Paul says that leaders in the church should do is to admonish. That's, that's not quite such a nice word. We're happy to have our elders work hard. Yes, they should work hard. And we're happy to have our elders pastor us. Yes, look after us, look after us. But it also says elders are to admonish. They're to reprimand, to warn, to advise, to urge. And the reality is at times we need that. Sheep need that at times. We need to be urged to do the right thing. We need to be warned at times. 
Sheep are fundamentally pretty stupid creatures who get into trouble lots of the time. They wander off where they shouldn't. They get themselves stuck in hedges. They fall off cliffs. They roll on their backs and can't get up because that's how sheep are. And they lie there bleating.、Ugh. And we Christians at times can be a bit like that as well. And so we need people who can say to us, "This is the way to walk. Go this way. Don't go that way. Stop doing that. Have you thought about that? What does Christ really demand of you? I urge you to do this." And that takes some courage. It's actually difficult to do that, especially in our culture, which we don't really we don't do hierarchy, we don't do authority, and so it's hard for elders to say to people under their care, "You really need to stop doing that, and you really ought to be doing this." And it takes some courage to do that. And part of what we're doing today is you, as part of this church, saying that you're giving these men、uh, permission to lead in that kind of way. So these these three things: working in the church, caring for the church, and being ready to admonish the church at the appropriate time. These are demanding things, and because they're demanding, that's why elders need to be men of high character. It's ultimately about character. There's competencies that these guys have, but they've got to have godly character. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing.、Uh, and it's also why they need to be men of grace, because. You want them to lead and serve in a way which is full of the grace of God, to work in a way which is grace-driven rather than man-pleasing, to be over you, care for you in a way which is grace-driven rather than manipulative and controlling, to admonish you at times not because they are domineering, but because they have your best interests at heart as servants of the living God. So it's real grace. So we're going to be praying for these men to have courage and to be of godly character. And praying for much grace to be on them, so they can serve amongst you as they should. Okay, that's three responsibilities for elders. But then the focus turns to how the church, together, the congregation as a whole, is meant to function. He says, "To how are you congregation going to respond to these people? You're to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You're to." Respect them. You're to esteem them. You're to love them. You're to honour them.、And、that's something that you're called to do with Andrew and with Jeremy. And again, that can be difficult for us, particularly because of our culture. That rebellion is our natural human condition, and especially in our worlds, we tend to be very hostile to authority. We don't like it. We don't like anything which smacks a sort of hierarchy and that kind of. We don't. We don't like it, and so we tend to be suspicious of those who are leaders. And perhaps with good reason. And most of you in this room are millennials, and perhaps of any generation, you have grown up with a hermeneutic of suspicion. You've been conditioned to be suspicious of authority, to be suspicious of leaders, and with good reason, because so often leaders have let you down. You do a quiz on Facebook, and then you find that Facebook's sending you, selling you information to. Cambridge Analytica, whoever it is, and Donald Trump is now president because of you <laughs> and Facebook, and so we're suspicious of those who have power, and we're suspicious of leaders, we're suspicious, suspicious of authority, and what we've been trained to do is to always question it and to actually to assume the worst. In the church, it's meant to be different. That in the church, we're not meant to assume the worst of our leaders and be kind of keeping an eye on them. We're meant to. 
assume the best and want the best for them because the way leadership works in the church is meant to be different from how leadership works in the world. It's not about coercion and manipulation, about power. It's about grace and character and serving. It's a whole different deal. And so Paul says to the church, look, respect, esteem, love those that God has given you as leaders. And that's something I'm going to be asking you to do today as well, that you'll say, yes, we will. We will choose. It might be difficult for us because of our culture, because of our conditioning, our training, but this is what we're going to choose. It's going to be different. We want to be a mature church, and part of the way that we're going to be mature as a church is to think about leadership differently than maybe that we do in the world, maybe differently from how we do in the workplace. We're going to choose to esteem, to respect, to love, to assume the best, to want the best, to pray for our leaders, to help them, to work with them, to encourage them. And if you have a church where the elders and the congregation are living in this kind of way, where the elders are men of courage and men of grace and men of character, are working hard and caring hard and admonishing as they need to, and if you have a congregation which is loving and esteeming and respecting those elders as they should, that's when you get a mature church which is functioning well. That's when you get health. And... This needs to be a healthy church. You want to be a healthy church. And we want a kind of culture in the church of robust spiritual health. That's what maturity is. That there's a robust spiritual health about this church. And then what Paul says in the rest of his closing comments to this letter really help us to see how that grounds, what that looks like, what robust spiritual health, what maturity looks like. It's about how they're all to relate to one another. And, and what's interesting about this is how, having given some these brief instructions to the leaders and then instructions to the congregation about how they treat the leaders, Paul turns it to how all of them, the whole church, elders and congregation together are to function, how they're to operate together. The responsibility each one of them has. He says, be at peace amongst yourselves. Choose the way of peace. That's really profound. That's really important because there are many things which come into church life which can disrupt the peace. You have to fight for peace. Church is uh, a flock. It's also a family. It's different metaphors, different images uh, the Bible uses. And families can easily be disrupted. The peace of a family can easily be disrupted. Something happens. One family member gets disgruntled, falls out with another family member. The peace is broken. And that can happen in church life. It happens all too easily, all too frequently. You have to be on your guard because well, this isn't just a, a, a neutral thing rolling along. No, we have an enemy who wants to disrupt the peace doesn't want this to be a mature congregation, doesn't want this to be a healthy church, doesn't want this to be a place of peace. And so we need to be on our guard and we need to fight for peace. It seems a strange, uh, kind of contradictory, a paradoxical thing to say, fight for peace. But you have to fight for peace. Peace doesn't just happen. You have to work for it. You have to fight for it. You have to labor at it. You need to be committed to the fight. And then He gives some other instructions about how a church is to function. He says, we urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, I've spent so much time thinking about these verses. They've been so personally profound for me in trying to work out how to be a Christian, how to 
live with other Christians, how to make this thing work. I just think it's a little, just a little phrase here at the end of this letter, but I think so important, so profound. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Warn, admonish the idle. There's a responsibility here upon everyone in the congregation to warn other members of the congregation who are being lazy. Because idleness, ill-discipline, laziness isn't an option for the Christian. We are meant to work. That's what we were created to do. Beginning of the story, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's what we were made for, to work, to take care of stuff. And whatever garden you've been put into, there's a call upon you to work in it, to be diligent in it. Different ones of us, different stages of life, different contexts will have different gardens. Your, your actual workplace is part of the garden where God has put you. It might be your domestic space is part of the garden where God has put you. It might, if you're in a relationship, if you're married, it's, marriage is a place you're called to work hard. It's part of the garden God has given you to work and take care of. And, and we know this, re- this message resonates uh, deeply with us. Who's, who's been following Jordan Peterson since he kind of gained prominence? A few hands with the, the Canadian psychologist. He's got this thing he says about clean your room. Clean your room. And it's a ho- kind of a whole, it's a metaphor for how to live. That you begin by, if you clean your room, you get control of your life and you start to get some order and you start to create some beauty and that spreads out from this one room into all your relationships and having an extraordinary impact, especially amongst young men who seem to be resonating with this message. Oh, there's, some resp- there's something I can do. I've got responsibility to take. Now, that's not just a message from a Canadian psychologist who's getting lots of media attention at the moment. That's the Bible message. God put you where you are to work and take care of the place where he's put you. And part of where he's put you is the church. If you're part of this church, you're to work and take care of this church. You have a responsibility. It's not just the elders who work hard. Every part of the body has a responsibility to work and care. Now, probably one of the challenges in this context here amongst you is because probably lots of you, actually, your problem isn't so much laziness because this is a church of overachievers, by and large. The way you've chosen to live and the kind of things you're choosing to study or the jobs that you have, this is a probably some of you actually you're working too hard in a sense. That's the challenge of, of London life, of getting ahead. And so this kind of warning about idleness, I think, actually plays out in different ways often. It can be actually sometimes it can be overwork as a kind of idleness. Especially in the workplace. If the whole of your life is about putting in those extra hours in the office, if it's all about presentism, being seen to be there, being seen to be busy, if you can, that can actually be a form of idleness in a sense. You're not really, you're not cleaning your room, you're not controlling the work that God has given you to do. And so, working that out, what it means. How do we work hard? How do we work hard in the garden? How do I work hard in the job I've got? And then how do I have enough energy left to work hard in the church as well? And how then do I have enough energy to work hard at a relationship? How do I make that work? Part of the work that you need to do as a church is working out how to do that. 
And I think part of your witness in London is working out how to do that and modeling how that can work. And so part of your warning of one another about idleness might be talking that round more and more. How do we do this? How do we work hard in a way which actually is, is good and not destructive? Second thing that uh, Paul says to do is to encourage the disheartened or the faint-hearted or the discouraged. Now, in this context of the church that Paul's writing to here, that there are some who were discouraged because of persecution. We know that because of other things Paul says in letter. They were being persecuted for their faith and they were discouraged as a consequence. It might actually be that you're in a similar kind of place yourself. It might not be overt persecution. Probably not going to get stoned when you walk out of here for having been in a Christian gathering. That's not going to happen. But you might feel kind of the pressure of being a Christian in a very secular, very alien in a sense environment where perhaps your faith is regarded as at best somewhat amusing, at worst completely crazy. And there could be that sense of just pressure for being a Christian. You might feel discouraged because of that. Some in this church were discouraged because some people had died. And it seems that they probably weren't expecting that. It seems that maybe they were expecting Jesus to have come back before anybody had died. And people were dying and they were discouraged by that. And stuff happens that discourages us all the time. And the longer you live, the more discouragements you'll find. That's my positive message for this morning. <laughs> Those of you in your 20s, look forward to your 40s and your 50s. Because there'll be a lot more discouraging stuff happening than you've experienced now. Praise God. That's just just how life is. It just comes your way. It's inevitable. Discouragements come. They just do. Sometimes you can see them coming. Sometimes they just go bang. And where, where did that come from? That's what happens to discouragement. just injured myself there with that illustration. <laughs> That's discouraging. <clears throat> and the responsibility we have as members of the church, as part of the body, is to, is to build one another up, to encourage each other, to help one another. And it's one of, the th- one of the reasons I've spent so much time thinking about this verse is that it, it, it can be difficult to work out, is this person lazy, and that's why nothing's happening in their life, or are they discouraged, and that's why stuff isn't happening in their life? Because the, symptom, the, the presenting issue can look the same. This is a person who doesn't seem to be very fruitful in life. And sometimes it's because you're lazy, and sometimes because it's you're discouraged. And part of our work in the family of the church is to work that out. What's going on with my brother? What's going on with my sister? Are they, do they need to sort some things out? Are they actually being a bit sluggardly in this area and they need to sort that out? Or is it just they're actually really discouraged and they need to be picked up and helped? And part of being a mature congregation is you have those kind of conversations and you work that kind of stuff out. And then the third thing that Paul says the church is to do is to help the weak. Help the weak. Now again, this can be confusing because if someone's weak, then it can be hard to distinguish between them being discouraged and them being lazy. And again, you've got to work it out. What's going on here? The reality is some people just are weak or weaker. Actually, in this room, it's true, we could line everybody up and we could... We won't do it because it would be so embarrassing, but <laughs> it's like physical strength. Some are physically stronger, some are physically weaker. Andrew's this amazing squatting regime at the gym is developing incredible physical strength. I, I do a little bit. 
I keep hoping to get him to do a public demonstration, but he always resists me at this point. I, 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 I do a little bit of, of, of lifting myself, which I'm sure you can tell. Um, but then I talk to Andrew about what he's lifting, and I feel, oh man, I'm so weak in comparison. I So if we lined us up, so Andrew might be at one end of the room, strongest guy in the room perhaps. I'd be a little bit further down, not too much further down, <laughs> but further down. Uh, and it's the same spiritually, that some are just more kind of spiritually, just by the grace of God, by temperament, whatever it is, just kind of more spiritually robust. And that doesn't mean that you then crush and condemn the person who doesn't have the same strength. That's crazy if you said the person in the room who's if you can't lift as much as Andrew can, well, how dare you come in here, get out. No, that's not what you do. You help one another. And some just need to have some help. Some need to be helped to find strength in God. And part of what it means to be a mature congregation is that it's a place where the weak get helped to become a bit stronger. Because actually weakness, isn't, weakness in itself isn't good. If you are weak, it's not wrong. But if you're weak, you want to get stronger. You just do. Uh, last year I was talking about authenticity. Part of the kind of lie of our age is we talk about being authentic, and that means that we, all we talk about is our brokenness. That's your authentic me, I'm so broken. No, the authentic you is meant to be found in Christ and have some robustness about you. And if you're spiritually weak, well, you're really welcome. It's great that you're here, but let's help you get a bit stronger. And maybe somebody who knows how to squat a bit more weight can give you some tips about how to, you might be able to lift it a little bit more. That's what a mature church does. A mature church warns those who are idle. A mature church encourages those who are discouraged. And a mature church helps the weak get a little bit stronger, helps them to find strength in God. Warn, encourage, help, be patient with everyone. It's such an important thing that Paul says, be patient with everyone. Why does he say that? Why does he tack it on to that sentence? Warn, encourage, help, be patient. I think the reason is, is because all of us at some point are ourselves prone to laziness or prone to discouragement or prone to weakness. And so Paul's being very honest here. Look, you need to be patient with other people because you need people to be patient with you. That if I'm discouraged or if I'm being lazy or if I'm feeling weak, I want people to be patient with me, not impatient. And a mature church is patient. We're patient with one another. It's also, I think, important that we are honest about ourselves. We get to know ourselves. Where, where are you most likely to fall? Where, where, where is your... Where's your What's your limiting factor? Is it that you're prone to idleness in some form? Is it that you're prone to discouragement in some form? Is it that you're just kind of weak? Where, where, where are you most likely to need help? And without patience, it's hard to understand ourselves. And without patience, it's hard to admonish or encourage or help peop- other people properly. And we need patience because sometimes it just takes time for people to change. And so a mature church is a patient church patient with one another. That can be a challenge in our culture. Again, where you are here, this is a fast-moving place. Patience is not of high commodity value in much of London. 
Again, part of the witness of this church is a place where people are patient with one another. Not a, not a superficial kind of tolerance, but a genuine godly patience which bears with one another and helps one another and sees growth in each other. And then, more quickly, the last few verses. See that no one repays evil for evil. That's a good principle. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Do good. Be good to one another. Be good to those who aren't in the church. Part of your witness is this is a place where good stuff happens. These are good people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not give thanks for all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. When the bad stuff happens, you don't thank God for it. That's kind of crazy, but you thank God in it. You keep trusting, you keep praising, you keep worshipping. Do not quench the Spirit. Part of the role of elders actually is to help facilitate the movement of the Spirit of God in the congregation. Part of these guys' responsibility is to think about what are we doing in order to see more evidence of the Spirit of God at work amongst us. How do we do that? Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. You receive things that God speaks to us, but also you're you're wise, you discern, you filter. Again, that's part of a role of eldership that Andrew and Jeremy now stepping into to display that kind of wisdom gift. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is, this is fascinating and it links so much to the warn and encourage and help thing that Paul has said. He's talking about the, the whole human being, your spirit, your soul, your body. It's the, it's the whole person. And I think in Paul using that threefold phrase, spirit and soul and body, he's identifying, wanting to focus in on those different areas where we can need help. The spirit, may your spirit be sanctified, may your spirit be made holy. The, the spirit's what controls us morally, it's about our character. And we can be kind of morally weak or morally discouraged or morally lazy. And Paul's prayer for the church is that they would be spiritually alert, spiritually diligent, spiritually strong. He says, may your soul be sanctified. May your soul be holy. The soul represents the emotions. And in our emotions, we can be discouraged. In our emotions, we can be weak. In our emotions, we can be lazy. And it might be that that's your area of, of vulnerability, that actually what you need to learn is, is kind of emotional discipline. So channel your emotions in a way which is healthy rather than destructive, in a way which is good. Not to, not to be ruled by your emotions, but for your emotions to flow in a way which is good for you and good for other people. Emotions are amazing things. When you're meant to laugh, you're meant to cry. But if you laugh at the wrong thing, or cry at the wrong moment, that's not good. And if you're driven by your emotions, that's not good either. And so 
having your emotions sanctified is part of being a mature Christian and being a mature church. And then your body, may that be sanctified, may that be holy as well. Your, your physical flesh, we can be physically weak, we can be physically discouraged, we can be physically lazy. And it might be that we need encouragement in that as well. That somehow our bodies need to line up with what we've been called to as Christians. Part of being mature as Christians that our bodies are disciplined, so our bodies don't lead us into sin. And very often it is our bodies that lead us into sin. Our bodies can literally lead us into sin as we walk towards something which we shouldn't. And so our bodies need to be sanctified to be spiritually disciplined. But the great thing about this is what Paul says next, verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Because when I, when I read that verse about may you be completely, maybe you be sanctified completely in your whole spirit and soul and body, may your soul and spirit and body be kept blameless. I think, man, that is high order stuff. How on earth can I do that? And the reality is that in myself I can't, but next verse, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And so part of being a mature congregation is our constant looking to Jesus for his strength to be at work in us. How can we be sanctified, body, soul, spirit? How can we be a congregation which knows what it is to help and encourage and warn in a way which is life-giving rather than controlling and manipulative? How can we honor and submit to our leaders and do that wholeheartedly? How can elders serve in a way which is, is re- truly godly, it's full of grace but also full of courage? How can we do that? Only as God gives us the ability to do it. And so to be a mature church, we need to keep looking to Christ, having confidence in him, and believing that he will help us. Brothers, pray for us. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer. We need to pray. We need to be diligent in prayer. I want you to pray for your leaders as they pray for you. Greet all the brothers and sisters. The Greek word means both. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Shake the hand of the person next to you at least. You can kiss them as well if you like. Do it now. Lack of enthusiasm. It's a biblical instruction. Greet one another with a holy kiss. It's good to do. Actually, seriously, it really is good to do. It's physical. So we have different, every culture has different kind of intimacy levels. So if you're Brazilian, you're touching one another the whole time. If, if you're, because, Jeremy. Jeremy. You're not Brazilian, are you? Similar culture. Uh, we've got some Brazilians in my church. and my, my Grace's brother is, is married to a Brazilian and has been in Brazil for a long time and they came and they came to our church. And, and it was fascinating to watch how uh, James and Rio were the whole time touching one another. It's like, man, that's not what James does with me. Handshake when he comes and a handshake when he goes and that's it. But with the Brazilian, it's... Oh. If your English may be a little bit more different, but... Physical, physical contact is important because we are a body. We're, we are physical beings. And so, it can seem, greet one another with a holy kiss. seems a bit weird. No, some kind of physical, of course, appropriate. Our culture, we're very aware of all the issues around inappropriate, blah, 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 all that stuff. But appropriate kind of physical contact is important. We're physical beings. And to recognize, accept, embrace, kiss one another is good. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I've been reading it now. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Grace, grace, grace. 
Our hope for this church lies in the faithfulness of God. It lies in a hope that elders and congregation together act as you're called to do. A healthy, functioning family relying on the faithfulness of God and being mature. Amen. Right. Luke, I've done what I said I wouldn't do and I've spoken for longer than I said I would. You told me, didn't you? You did tell me. It's because I get so excited when I'm here. It's because I know that Andrew speaks for so much longer than I normally do. But <laughs> I just, it just kind of expands to fill the gap. Right. We are going to recognize these guys as elders now out of what I have just said. So, brothers, can you come and join me up here? So the way this is going to go is that I'm going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to bring what we call a charge, which is some statements I'm going to read out about things that we want these men to do, and I'm going to ask them to affirm them and say, yes, we respond to that, we affirm that, this is how we will seek to live and how we'll seek to lead. And then I'm going to do the same with you, I'm going to bring a charge to you as a congregation and ask you to... Say, so, yes, we will. And it might start to feel a bit, little bit like a wedding. <laughs> Which in some ways is kind of how it is. Kind of not. But it, it's that kind of seriousness that we're... Well, again, we don't really do this in our, in our kind of... It's not what we normally do. This isn't, how, this isn't how we normally do life in 21st century Britain. But it's a serious moment when we're making promises to one another before God. And God is here. By his Holy Spirit, God is amongst us. Jesus is present amongst us. And so there's a promise being made between them and between you, between you and between them, but it's a promise which is also being kind of witnessed by God. And it's different from a marriage because this isn't indissoluble. It might be at some point God calls one or other of these men somewhere else. That might happen. It might well be that you're called somewhere else. Not prophesying you out. Hope, <laughs> hope you stay for a long time. So, so it's, this isn't un, this isn't an, an unbreakable vow in that sense. But what it's a, a call to is that, as a whole church, elders and congregation together, you're saying yes. This is this is what we're promising before God. This is how we're going to endeavour to live by His grace, trusting in His faithfulness, knowing His power amongst us. And so this this is a this is a moment which, a bit like a wedding, should be kind of deadly serious, but also should be a time kind of, of joy and laughter, because this is great. This is stepping from church plant to mature church. It's a really important moment for, for the church. Okay? Right. Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 5, Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock. There's that agricultural language again. Shepherds of the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Let me ask you some questions. You can say yes after each one. I'm going to grab a mic so we can all hear it. Andrew and Jeremy, as elders, will you seek to grow in your gift of leadership to lead in grace and knowledge, 
giving yourself first to the Lord and then to the church. Yes. Yes, we will. Will you model a Christ-like attitude as an under-shepherd of this flock? Yes. Yes. Will you oversee the flock and encourage the struggler and the weak and timid, as well as fighting off wolves and bringing discipline? Yes. Yes. Will you be willing in good times and bad to set the flock an example in faith, love, and purity to feed and nourish these sheep to God-given maturity? Yes. Yes. Will you resist leadership by manipulation or control? Leadership that seeks to gain material wealth or has man-pleasing as its center? Yes. Yes. Will you work as part of a team, honoring one another and those others on the leadership team as a band of brothers? Yes. Yes. Will you live in the light of two days? This day, giving yourself to lead the church, and that day when the chief shepherd appears and you receive a crown that will never fade. Yes. Good. Right, congregation. So why don't we stand? Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then in verse 17 it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. So five questions for you. I'll read these all together and you can give a hearty yes or we will at the end. Will you remember these men, receive them as your under-shepherds? Will you remember them before God in your prayers? Will you willingly give yourselves to their teaching and leadership as they preach the word of God? Will you imitate their walk and faith, seeking to implement in your lives all that is spiritual and of faith? And will you submit, even when it is difficult, to the godly authority they bring so as to make their work a joy? Yes. Yes. Good. That's a relief. (laughs) Uh, C and Jen, come and join us as well. Okay, so we are committed to elders and wives being on mission together. This is a a team affair. And exactly what that looks like varies from church to church and also from couple to couple because uh, churches are different and married couples are different and do things somewhat differently. Um, We would expect the wives of these men to enthusiastically support them and the ministry of the church, that without that, this thing doesn't really work, it doesn't hold together. Uh, there's, there's no biblical office of wife of an elder, but these women need to carry the church in their hearts in a way that, similar way to that Andrew and Jeremy do, or Andrew and Jeremy won't be able to function effectively as, as elders in the church, so... Uh, while we're praying specifically for Andrew and Jeremy, recognizing them as elders, what C and Jen are, what they represent, what their desires are, is also absolutely fundamental to, to this working. Um, so we're pointing 
Andrew and Jeremy, to guys, the role of eldership. I know that in itself can raise some questions. It might be that you have more questions you want to ask about that, which I'm, the guys would be very happy to talk about in terms of male elders and female elders and how that works, doesn't work. Uh, this is a team. Church is a team. It's a flock. It's a family. We're together, men and women together. And uh, that these are, are men and their wives who are together in their call before God is essential and fundamental. You don't, you don't have to be married to be an elder, but uh, that's, a, that's a typical pattern and it often helps. Uh, Grace and I have been married for 24 years. I've been an elder now for 20 years or something. I don't know, a long time. And I couldn't really... There had been many times I'd have crushed and crumbled if Grace hadn't been there shoring me up. So... We want to pray for the women as well as for the men. So let's do that. Uh, Grace, you want to come and join me? Luke and Janice. Any life group leaders? It'd be great to have you come and join us as well in prayer. And uh, Anybody else who wants to come and join in? We can all join in from where you are, but it'd be great to have some come and, come and lay hands on. Do you want to step forward a little bit so people can get behind you and lay hands upon you? So what we're going to do now is just, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for God's blessing. We're going to pray in some of the things I've spoken about. Ask for God's anointing, uh, his seal of what we've done today. It's a bit, again, like the marriage metaphor. It's a bit like that moment when you exchange rings. That uh, Just the physical representation of a, of, a, of a spiritual reality. And as we pray for them, we're kind of doing that. We're saying, Holy Spirit, you're anointing on these men. And do believe that even though they've been serving in this leadership role already, that we expect something to happen as a result of today, that as we recognize, as we accept, as we enthuse, as we pray, that God does anoint them with an extra kind of somehow just a, an extra edge in their leadership gift, which will bless you and be good for the mission of this church. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God's blessing. Let's, can we, let's all pray out together. Let's all ask for God's blessing on these men and these couples, on this church. Lord, thank you. The scripture says to greet one another with a holy kiss and says to lay hands on men to recognize them as elders. Lord, thank you for the physicality, the solidity of our faith. Yeah. We, we come to you, Jesus, a, a resurrected saviour. Yeah. Lord, your, your life and your resurrection wasn't some airy-fairy mystical thing but it was solid it was flesh and blood and well thank you that what we're involved in is is not something up in the sky but is grounded it's solid it's uh here now real people in a real city engaging with other real people with arms and eyes and ears and lord i pray for these men as we recognize them as we lay hands upon them now that your anointing would be on them to Jesus, to, to lead in this church and to lead this church into the mission you've called her to, that this would be a people who not only know the joy of, uh, of being in the presence of God, but uh, take that joy into the world. I pray your anointing on these men to lead in a way which is full of courage, because you will need courage at times. I pray for courage, I pray for courage when there's difficult things to be handled in the life of the church. Pray for courage when there's things which come from outside the church which need to be 
discerned or resisted or maybe at times fought. I pray for real steel in your spines. Yeah, I pray you'd be bold. And pray for grace. Lord, thank you that you call us to live in grace, no grace. Thank you for the name of this church. Pray that these would be men who generally are men of grace, who, who don't lead out of manipulation or control or man-pleasing or for self-gain or promotion, but lead as those who have received the grace of God in Jesus Christ and want to minister the grace of God to others. Pray that the words you speak, pray the actions of your bodies, I pray everything about you would witness faithfully to the truth of what you've received in Christ, the, co- the commission you have, the, the calling you have now, the appointing you have in Christ Jesus. Well, thank you that we're all called to be priests. Thank you that we all stand before you as those who know the reality of your saving work in us, presence and activity of your Holy Spirit at work amongst us. We're all called to minister before you. Thank you there's no other intermediate that we need because, Jesus, you are our great intermediary. You're the one who stands in our place and have brought us to the Father so we can have access to the throne room of God. But, well, thank you also. You call us into a flock. You call us into a family. I pray for Andrew and Jeremy as they serve as elders here in this flock and this family. They would do that diligently as, as fatherly men. Pray that you bless them in their flesh and blood families. Lord, thank you for uh, Jeremy and Jen about to enter parenthood. Pray your blessing on them in that. Pray for Andrew and C with their kids that you bless them in that. Pray for this church. There would be a sense of family in this place, of, of all being together, of older and younger, of married or singles, all together experiencing genuine family. And uh, these men would help create that kind of healthy culture. Pray there'd be mature men who lead a church in maturity and a witness to the world. Well, this is such a huge city. And uh, Lord God, we might look at this church and think, well, we've done well, but it's still a small number of people in comparison to the city. But what you've put here is of unbelievable power. It's the grave-busting power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in this place. And so I pray that these men would lead this church with that confidence and that call as those who carry resurrection power in their hearts, in their souls, in their bodies, King Jesus. In your name we ask it. Amen. 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 Amen.